76ers. Two-hand jab. He curls, catches, and slams. WEMJ. WEMJ HD Millville, Atlantic City. 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, D-Ray is going to talk, join us to talk a little NBA. Daryl Reynolds from the Process Podcast, a member of the 2016 Villanova Wildcats National Champion team, and, of course, co-host of the Process Podcast. Uh, going to talk a little Sixers. They win last night, but I don't know. What's your confidence level with this team? 4.5 out of 10? That's, uh, that's pretty high. I'm starting to lose confidence. I am. Oh, no doubt. I'm thinking more like 2. Well, Ben Simmons looks like he's going to be out a while. Let's get D-Ray's thoughts on what he's seen through three games. D-Ray, I got to start off with this. What you've seen through three games, does it instill any confidence that this team is about to make a deep playoff run? I got to be honest, no. No, especially after that injury, man. That hurt. You know what I mean? I don't think anybody's uh, in any way, I'm not going to say optimistic at this point, but that hurt. Like He's out indefinitely, but... They already look shaky beforehand. I think the only thing we can hope for at this point is Joel B just being a beast, like just going a complete Hakeem on everybody mm-hmm. and just taking over. That being we said, that being said, were you impressed with what you saw from Ben Simmons through the three games? <sighs> Seeing as though I lost the bet um, of him not taking more than five threes, no, I'm not. I, it was times. The flashes of things that I was impressed with. Obviously, his passing has always been impressive. Um, the way he spaced the floor at times was kind of questionable. I like to think this is a blessing in disguise, but at the same point, uh, no, I wasn't overly impressed with him. If he is back for the playoffs, would you think about possibly moving him back to point guard at all? Because that looked a little bit better, I'm not going to lie. No, I've said it on the Process podcast before. I am not for going back to the old ways. That was insanity to keep trying that over and over again and expecting different results. So, no, I, I'm, I'm rocking with this. Uh, what are you seeing from uh, Joel Embiid? I mean, you got to be happy with what you've seen from that, right? I mean, have you seen changes in the way they're using him? Have you seen changes in his game? I haven't seen many changes in the way they're using him, but I have seen changes in his game, just more his, like, his sharpness on offense, uh, his attention to detail at times on defense is not going to act like it's perfect. But I will say this to somebody who criticized him so much about put up or shut up and him coming back as a different player like he said he would, he's living up to it right now. What do you think about the interaction between Shake Milton and Joel Embiid? Have you experienced something like that at Villanova? You might not have to say any names, but have you been a, a part <laughs> of something like that before that it actually helped the team instead of hurt them? Yeah, I don't want to throw Ryan Arsdiakno under the bus. But... <laughs> shout out Art. Shout out Art. That's my guy. But, uh, but no, no, no. I mean, you, you have those times with your teammates, and as long as you understand that that's there on the floor, and once you get off of it, your guys are still teammates and brothers, it's all good. And obviously that's what happened. You saw when Shake made that shot, Joel was kind of teasing him, but it's like, listen, we got the job done. Yeah. Uh, D-Ray here talking a little NBA, and obviously the Sixers getting ready uh, for these final couple seedings games. They're going to do it without Ben Simmons. So what do you want to see from the lineup with Ben Simmons out? Do you go Al Horford back into the lineup? Uh, what is your What card are you pulling out to replace him? Do you go you know, uh, Glenn Robinson, Matisse Steibel? Do you go back to Horford? A lot of options here. 
Uh, I'm not too high on using Al Horford that consistently. I mean, Ben Simmons ate up a lot of minutes. I would not want to see all of those go to Al Horford just because of his pace of play. If anything, uh, I want to see a lot more Matisse Thibel. I want to see Alex Burke. I like Glenn Robinson in spots, but those three guys kind of rotate in those minutes to me. I, I feel I can still get it done. I don't know what it is. I don't think it is necessarily a championship, but is it uh, a decent playoff run at this point? I, I think so. Now, does it feel like Glenn, uh, Brett Brown is still trying to figure out his rotation? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been some weird times how Neto and Furcon Korkmaz being there in the fourth quarter, different things that – it's a little odd at times. I think he's still trying to figure things out. Unfortunately, nobody has the patience for that. We kind of need it to happen now. But at the same time, I have faith in Brett Brown as a coach, and he's got them this far, so I have to believe that he's going to continue to just figure it out. Yeah, I mean, one of the biggest issues with this team, and we've been saying it for a couple of seasons now, is they never actually get to play together. There's always a new addition, or there's always somebody hurt missing the lineup, and now the Sixers are going to have to experience it again going into the playoffs with what five games left so it's just hard to think that this team is just going to miraculously find a way to get this done when they can't ever get on the floor together yeah man that that kills momentum you know you start to get into a groove you start to get into a rhythm and then out of nowhere boom somebody's injured out of nowhere you change the rotation out of nowhere somebody gets traded that definitely kills momentum but you know i mean it's just I think that's the NBA. I think because we're such diehard Sixers fans, we focus on it. But everybody's dealing with it. I think it comes down to who can make the adjustments the best. If you're not the Milwaukee Bucks, you're dealing with this problem. All right, we'll leave you with this because uh, you got these seeding games going on. What did you? What do you think of the play in the bubble so far? I like it. I like it. It's, it's actually interesting. I feel like in, in probably the next two decades or so, this is what we're going to be where you don't really have any fans, and that virtual look is kind of the thing that happened. Obviously, that's going to make leaps and bounds, but I like it. It kind of eliminates distractions, which is something that, to me, paid off for the Sixers. All right. Uh, well, they won their game that they were, quote-unquote, the home team, as Tobias said the other night, 30-2 and two at home. They lost the game that they were the designated road team. What were they yesterday? They were the road team yesterday, right? So that gets them another yeah. road win uh, on the season, um, which makes them 11-25 and 25 on the road. Daryl Reynolds, of course, uh, the co-host of the Process Podcast and uh, a member of the 2016 Villanova Wildcats National Championship team. He, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. All right, D-Ray, we'll talk to you next week, man. All right, fellas, talk to you next week. Yeah, man, what was the uh, highlight of uh, Process? I know you were recording it with D-Ray, and uh, the power went out. Yeah, that was frustrating. We were about 45 minutes in, and bang, there goes the lights. It started to flicker. I tried to save it just in time, and then... The Boom. computer went off. So uh, we, we talked about the frustration. We talked about the frustration with Ben Simmons, and we talked about, you know, should I brought up the fact that maybe they should, just for this playoff run, go back to Ben Simmons at the point guard. But he shut that down. He uh, like I would that. shut that down, too, though. I mean, like, the first possession of the game yesterday was an example of Jake Milton in the corner all by himself, catch, shoot, three. I mean, until Milton either becomes – I don't know, um, enable in, in to – he's not afraid to shoot. Well, what if I laid this scenario out for you? Shake still stays on the floor. So Ben is your primary point guard. Shake Milton is the two. Richardson's the three. Tobias is the four. And Embiid's the five. Is that too small when it comes to Josh Richardson and Shake? No. No, because Ben makes up for it. Because you you have a guard who is six foot ten 
who was. I mean, it's the same lineup as you have now anyway. You're well, just would, reshuffling the deck of what positions they're playing. Right, exactly. It would be more Ben Simmons playing more of a role like he played previously. So it would be taking Ben's role and putting it more to what he once did instead of this elbow look that you're seeing now. So it is the same lineup. It's just changing the way that Ben's being right, utilized. So that's not doing anything defensively because when you're looking about size and that stuff, you're looking on the defensive side of the floor right. for the most part. No, I mean, like Milton, the play that he hits the game-winning three, that, that typically would have been Simmons inbounding that ball, right? Yes. He threw the ball into Horford. Horford threw it right back to him, and he popped the three and won the game. That wouldn't have happened if Ben Simmons inbounded the ball, threw the ball to Har uh, Horford, and Horford threw it right back to him. Well, they still could have found a way to utilize a play to get a shot. Sure, but this guy caught the threw the inbounds pass, caught the uh, pass, and shot a three and won the game. Well, it looked like that was option B on the play. Not saying that that doesn't it matter. It was only option B because the shot was given to him, and he said, you're going to give me the shot, I'm going to take it. But I think the last second shot out of an inbound is different than the full-on play because you could have well, called it. wasn't that. a last second shot. There was still six seconds left on the clock. Well, but you were able to set up that play out of an inbound compared to what I'm just yeah, saying, up-and-down play. If Ben Simmons usually is the inbound man, and if he inbounded that ball to Horford and then Horford threw the ball back to him, he wasn't going to step into that and shoot that three. No, he was I would, going to I would try agree to give the ball to probably Embiid, which I'm not saying is a bad thing, but I'm saying if Milton is going to continue to display that he's willing to take open shots and make them, he yesterday he was left wide open in the corner to start the game. You give me an open three, I'm going to shoot it, and I'm going to make it. I'm not disagreeing with you that Shake is making those shots, and that's beneficial, but I think it's not beneficial to put Ben Simmons at this elbow and have him rock this type of offense. It's just not working. I think he's way better with what he was doing before. So I think that somehow, some way, you got to find a mix of getting Shake Milton to still be able to do what he's doing now, but get Ben Simmons more looks that we've well, seen Well, I would previously. agree with that, but I don't think making him go back to the point guard spot is changing. He is just not a significant part of the half-court offense, no matter what positions he's playing. That's an issue. That is it. It is an issue, but when he was the point guard, it's not like in the half-court he was, you know, helping you out all that much. He is a guy that when it is a up-and-down uh, open floor game is where he excels. No doubt about Whether it. he's I the just... one, two, three. I mean, he's Magic Johnson playing center. Just what I've seen so far, very limited sample size. I still think with with the limitations playing point guard, I still think that that overpowers what I've seen I so far. Out of and, and I still think a lot of that is on him. Like, there are so many times when he is down on that block where if he just spread himself out to the corner and became comfortable with catching and shooting out there, he doesn't have to shoot it every time. But he has to understand if he does shoot it like he did yesterday. Early in the game, he shot it and he missed. But if he catches that ball in that corner and shoots it a second time, that third time, someone's going to come out. And that one step that they come out is when his speed and athleticism will allow him to get to the bucket so much easier. I don't understand how he doesn't understand that. He's I a smart guy. I know. I'm with you. I think that. Long term, I like the idea of point forward. I just mentioned the ball back in his hands, more point guard role for this playoff run, just because there's not enough time for him to really adapt to that role yet. That's all. All right, we got uh, anytime hotline reactions on the other side. Don't forget, tomorrow, 9 o'clock, $50 gift card for just $25 at the Ravioli House. Radio Talk Show, The Sports Bash, with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. Uh, you can vote now at 973-ESPN in our poll question. 
which asked this question. Rhodes and I made a bet over under four and a half three-point attempts in the eight games for Ben Simmons. Should the injury make the bet void since Ben got hurt? Yes or no? Well, it's an easy answer. The answer is no. Well, I'm going to go with what the people are saying. Well, the people, as I stated here in the response tweet, clearly have never placed a bet before. Again, now, somebody got in and said, if you made this bet at a sports book, how would they handle it if he got hurt? That guy, obviously, doesn't have any friends. <laughs> is that how that works? Well, I mean... I think it's just the letter of the law of betting. We should understand now that sports betting well, legal all over the place. We know how this works. See, and I thought we were friends. Now you're insinuating that... There's no friendship in this relationship. We just work together. So you're throwing that out the window, and you're acting like this guy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, Look, I mean, I'll, I'll leave it up to you. I'll let you decide. If you want to call this forward, by all means, you can. All right? I don't agree with it, but I'll let you do it. Or no. you could be a man and say I lost the bet and pay it up. I'll leave it to you. Now, Nola is my dad weighs in. He says this bet should never have been made in the first place because if you're gullible enough to believe that Ben would shoot, you should automatically lose. What, do you feel targeted by Nola is my dad? Uh, I don't know. I mean, look, I mean, we, we're having a little fun. Four and a half is a low number in eight games. It's not like we set the world on fire and said he was going to shoot 30. And keep in mind, we did make this bet when you saw constant videos by Sixers uh, media teams and through other uh, Yeah, I'm going to try to reach there. out to the Sixers and have them pay the bet. Oh, you can do that if you want. <laughs> Maybe you slide into Ben Simmons' DMs. Right. Hey, you cost me a Sixer. I think he'd shoot you a six-pack. Well, pack. I mean, but he got hurt. No fault of his own. Now, imagine if he sent you a six-pack, but they weren't low cows. Would you send him another DM say, hey, man, look, I'm on keto diet. <laughs> yeah. You're going to have to send low cows. These aren't going to do, pal. Yeah, maybe next time you'd figure this out before you send the wrong sixer. Uh, what do you guys think would happen if Ben Simmons getting hurt turns into Carson Wentz situation? They end up winning the championship without him. That's from Matt Dennisville. That's so weird that he sent that in because I told you pregame, I got a text from my cousin. I thought that was him. I know. I was thinking the same thing. I was waiting to see the name. And he said, could you imagine a scenario where because it's 2020, the Sixers win the title, and then you have to sit here and listen to everyone say, trade Ben Simmons. It would be so apropos. I almost feel like I don't even want that to happen. Can somebody put the uh, ESPN2 back on for a second? You mentioned Rachel Nichols. Someone just texted in, what in the Sam hell happened to Rachel Nichols? Well, the remote is right next to you. If you hit last, it should pop right up. I told you that. Yeah. It looked like she might have got a spray tan. And maybe a little bit too much of a spray tan. Oh, in the bubble. She got the bubble tan. I guess so. You know they have a barbershop. Maybe next door to the barbershop is a spray tan place. I haven't seen it. You said something, and I'm like, and now someone took time. They're watching ESPN2 and said, what in the... There she is. Yeah, that's not good. That's a bad look. Yeah, it's not a good that look. That is a bad look. Yeah, I don't know why anybody thinks an orange spray tan look is a good look. Now, from my knowledge, after a couple of days of the spray, then it looks better. Like, after a couple of days of the spray tan, it starts to is look it necessary? more natural. The sun no. in Orlando, isn't there? Right. Uh, is the bubble all indoors? <laughs> they just can't ever <laughs> they go outside. Have the 
part of why World of Sports bubbled in now is what you're saying. Hey, yep. we never know. It's like a it's like a greenhouse. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, you're literally trapped inside. All right, let's get to some of the anytime hot hotline calls and see what the people said. Uh, were they impressed with the Sixers? win yesterday. I don't know how you could have been. I wasn't impressed. I was not impressed. Now, I will say, I didn't listen to any of these calls, and I sent them all to Josh. So today, I don't even know the reactions. I'm very intrigued to see what we get. Here we go. Shake Milton. Shake Milton. Absolute captain clutch today. Yeah, it should not be close like that against a crappy team like the Wizards, but you know what? A win is a win. And now we now have to fill in Ben Simmons' spot after that injury today and going into the Orlando game on Friday. All you got to do is just grab a lead and play strong defense, and that should be three straight dubs. All I got to say on this one. Now, Shake Milton, the impact for Shake Milton was not there in that game. Well, I said, he said, well, he's three for five from three point. Oh, no, I'm not saying he had a bad game, but when I heard the Shake Milton originally, I'm thinking, was that well, from the game before? Well, when, that's exactly what I thought. He said, Shake Milton, and I brought up the box score, like, wait a second, did I miss Shake Milton, like, have a lights out game? Joel and B would be the one that you should praise, unless he might be tying the two together. Like, hey, Shake Milton, Captain Clunch last game, and then in the Wizards game, how come we can't play some defense? The fact that that was close was just absurd. I like his point, though, and it's valid if you can get a lead and play defense. The problem is they're playing defense against the Wizards, who that team yesterday, holy mackerel. Who they were those stink. guys? Yeah, they stink, but they were getting to where they wanted to. They were getting to the paint. They were getting to where they wanted to. They were driving and getting to where they wanted to on the floor. How is it possible to do that? I don't know, but that's concerning because, like he said, I like his theory. Oh, play defense and then all of a sudden, you know, ride it out with your or, or get a lead and ride it out with your defense. I'm all for that. I don't know if I feel confident enough that, that, that they uh, can do that the way they're playing, especially with Simmons out. That's a huge problem. Second thing is, Hey, look, we need to go all in for Mark Jackson. And this is my thing. I understand why they're keeping Brett Brown, or I believe I think I understand why they're keeping Brett Brown around, because Elton Brand feels some kind of loyalty to him. But if you want to keep Brett Brown around, keep him as the, the, the coach of the water boys or the, you know, getting clean tiles in the bubble and all that kind of stuff, you know, just let him get pissed off and go someplace else. But we need to go all in for Mark Jackson. He would be awesome for Shake Milton. Shake Milton was in, in SMU under... Larry Brown for a year. If he can get Mark Jackson to coach him for a while, hey, Shake is going to be an all-star sooner than we think. Well, here we go. Now Shake's an all-star. Well, the thing I hate is that we need to go in on Mark Jackson. I hate this obnoxious obsession with Mark Jackson. Yeah, it's weird that he hasn't got a job since. Not only that. There's been that, a lot of openings, too. How many scenarios are brought up where, well, look what the Warriors did. And in that example... Mark Jackson got fired, and Steve Kerr took over, and they won. That's right. So now you want to use the guy that you use as the example, as the new hire? It just doesn't add up. It's the Kenny Atkins thing, where the Nets fired Kenny Atkins because they didn't think that he was the guy to get him over the top. So people in the Sixers will say, hire that guy. The Nets just got rid of him because they didn't think he was the right guy. Right. Mark Jackson got fired because the Warriors didn't think he was the guy to get him over the hump. Apparently, we got more on this guy. That's why he said that was his second yeah, point. Yeah, well, He's got a the way points. that they were situated here, part two was labeled in front of part one, and then there's a part three. Well, I want to hear more from this guy, so keep him coming from him. First of all, Ben Simmons will be fine. You know, it's just not today. He's not ready for that. And I'm not ready for him to start jacking a bunch of threes if he's not comfortable. What he needs to do 
and shoot the mid-range jumper. You know, defense are getting smart right now. They're learning how to wall him off, and he gets caught right there at the free throw line or, you know, between the free throw line and the the key. He needs to learn how to shoot that shot. That's where he's getting in trouble. Well, that guy's not saying anything that people don't know. Well, I will say, though, the the mid-range game, while I agree that he should be able to knock down a mid-range jumper, we talk about this with DeMar DeRozan all the time. At what point, because of the way the NBA is going, is it efficient to add that to your game right now? Like, I think him being spaced out and shooting the the three at that point forward position, that power forward stretch four, might be more important than the mid-range game at this time. Um, I, I And again, like the guy said, I don't need him shooting five of them, just a couple. And again, if you shoot one or two of them, it brings the defender just a little bit more towards you, and that little bit more towards you will open up the lane for you to get by guys a lot easier. I do think it's important to take those threes over the mid-range. So at one point, I didn't feel that way. At one point, I said, I just need him to shoot some sort of mid-range jumper. But with the way that he is now being utilized as a stretch four, I think it's more important to be taking those corner threes than anything else because that's where he's going to have to be camped out on the floor at times. All right, part three. So Here's the problem. Unless Boston loses a lot of games, we're playing them in the first round. And we already know we're going to be outcoached with Brett Brown. He, he, he just can't coach. We're going to be outcoached. Joe will have a big series. Shake will have a big series. But um, Al Horford, I can't really tell. I don't know. You would think he might because he's you know, playing Boston. But then again, if it was back in Boston, possibly. But no, no, no. I just think he's going to be, you know, it's, it's not going to be any good. We might be in and out the one series and done. Talk to you later, buddy. See ya. <laughs> Can Joel B beat the Celtics alone without Ben Simmons? Yeah. I think the because matchup allows them to. their problem is defending a guy. But what did Keith Smith say yesterday? That they'll just let Joel score 40, and then somebody else is going to have to figure out a way. But, I mean, is it one of those matchups where sometimes when jo- Joel goes out and Ben's by himself, the team plays really well? Is this the matchup where you luck into Joel being the one there and Ben being the one out? Because the Celtics have their most success in defending Ben Simmons. He's almost a liability against the, the Celtics because Stevens is so willing to do the unconventional. Yeah, it's a great point. No doubt. That is a great point. I think this is a better matchup for Joel Embiid, but it's going to be tough. I will say, though, you did see the team lose, the Sixers, when ben, when Joel Embiid dropped 41 and grabbed 21 boards. In that game, though, somebody dropped 57 on the other team, or 53 points. Yeah. T.J. Warren dropped 53 points. By the way, T.J. Warren had another big night last I know, night. so maybe it wasn't just the Sixers. It, well, it hasn't been because he had 30-some in the one game, the second game, and then last night, what did he have? I saw him trending on Twitter, but I didn't see the game itself. I'll tell you in a second. Last night, against the Sixers, he had 53. Against the Wizards, he had 30-something. And then last night, he went for T.J. Warren, gave me 32. Okay. I mean, that's not 53, but 32 is still a good number. He's been unconscious down there. One thing about that caller, though. Mentioned Brad Stevens, who's going to clearly destroy Brett Brown. I know regular season doesn't count the same as a postseason seven-game series, but they did go 3-1 and one against Brad Stevens this season. Yeah, I know. So why is that not played into a factor? Uh, because it doesn't fit the narrative ah. that the coach means less than you want to give him credit for. Because the two teams this year, um, I don't know, I like this Boston team better than I like last year's Boston team. I was very vocal about that. And people thought that I was out of my mind. And... 
one of the reasons that Boston had problems last year is because Brad Stevens did not coach that team very well. That doesn't mean he's not a good coach. It means the coach doesn't have the impact you think it does because that team was so talented, but the coach, as good as a coach as he was, he wasn't getting that team to change. He wasn't getting that team to do different things that Kyrie didn't want to do the things that he wanted him to do. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I see what you're saying. So I think last year's Celtics team to this year's Celtics team is a very good indication that you could have a great coach, but they only have so much of an impact because last year's Celtics team was more talented. But I like this team better because I like Kemba Walker as a team guy over Kyrie. I also like using the Celtics last year to this year as a comparison to what the Sixers could be. Very frustrating this year. A lot of expectations. And the Celtics went through the same thing last year with Kyrie. A lot of expectations and, and a lot of talent, and it didn't work out on the floor. Fast forward one year, totally different team. Now, as you stated, they did get Kemba Walker. They moved on from Kyrie Irving. But can the Sixers make one move that can change them from this year to next year? I think it's possible. All right, we got Kevin Durso going to preview this Flyers-Caps game. It's coming up at 4 o'clock right here on 97.3 ESPN. That was a big game for the Fly guys all of a sudden. Absolutely, and there's some breaking news on the roster as well for the Capitals. Might make it a little easy for the Fly guys. Flyers coverage on 97.3 ESPN brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now. They'll match your first deposit up to $250. Go to PlaySugarHouse.com and win real money with their sports book along with casino games for the comfort of your home. You must be 21 or older to play. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Our Flyers insider Kevin Durso previews Flyers and Caps Next, it's Flyers Playoff Hockey later today on 97.3 ESPN and the free mobile app with Tim Saunders and Steve. Sugarhouse.com. We got Flyers and Caps coming up in about 24 minutes from now. A little puck drop here on 97.3 ESPN. Now, where would you, uh, no Carter Hart today? You disappointed by that? You get it? I get it because. If Brian Elliott does win this game, and you know he was going to play one of the three, well, then Carter Hart is set up for a pretty big game in game three. If they were to win this game with Carter Hart, knowing Elliott was going to get one game, you're going to have Elliott in that third game. I'd rather see Hart get that action. So let's look at the scenarios here. Kevin Durso with a preview, 97.3 ESPN.com. Flyers and caps at the bottom, top of the hour here on 97.3. So, Kevin, what are the scenarios today with a Flyer win that obviously puts him in contention for the number one seed, I would imagine, correct? Yeah, any form of a win is going to put them in a position for the number one seed, no matter how they get it, because then you're going to play a game against Tampa Bay where the winner of that game will come out on top and have the top seed. Uh, the big thing with that game yesterday that between Boston and Tampa Bay was you just didn't want to see it go to overtime and allow both teams to get a point, and there's under five minutes to go, and that's the exact scenario you're facing. And Tyler Johnson scores for Tampa Bay with a minute 27 left and gives Tampa Bay that regulation win. So Boston is going to be out of the picture in terms of competing with the Flyers if the Flyers can just get the game today to overtime. They get one point, then they will at least be the three seed. If they can win the game in regulation, then they're guaranteed a top two seed, and that game on Saturday becomes a battle for the top seed. Um, and a loss today, what happens uh, with the loss today? The loss is going to open up a lot of doors um, because at that point in time, then Washington is obviously going to, especially depending on if it's in regulation, Washington would vault to the vault over the Flyers. 
Tampa Bay's already in front of them. The Flyers would not have a shot at the top seed at that point uh, if that's the case, because even if they were to win their final game in regulation against Tampa, Tampa's going to hold the tiebreaker there uh, by regulation points percentage. So they wouldn't have a shot at the top seed if that's the case. And a second seed would be much more difficult to find uh, and, be, and, and come for the Flyers if, that, if that's the case. A win today would really answer a lot of questions and set them up for the possibility of a top two. Besides in net, what are the line changes today? Well, we just got an interesting one, actually. Uh, James Van Riemsdyk is not playing for the Flyers today. And Elaine Vigneault had said the other day that he expected more out of Van Riemsdyk. So perhaps this is a message being sent to the veteran forward here. Um, just because of the fact that, you know, he was demoted to the fourth line and in a rotation with Connor Bunneman in, a, in practice yesterday. Bunneman, it looks like, is getting the the go today in the lineup and Van Riemsdyk is out. So that's a big, big shift. Joel Farabee is going to come in and play on the third line. And he's basically taking the, the spot of Michael Roffel. And that was a, that was the move that was announced on Monday, the day after the Flyers played, played Boston. We knew Farabee was in. We knew that Elaine Vigneault wanted to try to get another forward into the lineup in some capacity. And we're seeing now how he found a way to do it. James Van Riemsdyk's not playing today. Wow, I actually love that. How about that from your head coach? Now, what about on the capital side? It looks like John Carlson is out. That's a big loss. Yeah, it is. This is a guy who's a Norris Trophy finalist and has been so great for them all year. And this goes back to the exhibition they played. He left that exhibition early. And from there, they've been trying to find a way to get him back in the lineup. And they want to get him into a round-robin game at some point. And it was a little interesting to see that he was it sounded like he was closing in on that possibility today. He was a game-time decision. He was getting some treatment this morning, so it sounded like he might be a possibility. But just before the warm-ups, they came out with the official announcement that he will not play today. All right. Uh, let me ask you this, then. The seeding right now, um, especially with a 12-5 matchup, the way that it's 2-1 Habs over Pittsburgh, how in, uh, how much you know is getting that number one seed um, – Change, you know, change for maybe the way you thought it when this whole round robin opened up. Yeah, it's getting really interesting on on both sides too. I mean, in the flyer stance where they're trying to battle for one of these top four spots or trying to move up from four, you're seeing the way it's shifting already. You've got it. You got the sixth seed in Carolina who's already advanced and moved on by sweeping the New York Rangers, but Montreal's right there now, and they they just need a win to get past that point and get to the first round, and that's a 12 seed that would really everybody kind of thought had no business being part of this that pulled off an, a huge upset and it's going to shift the entire dynamic there's you know there's still an outside shot that you get a 10 seed that can pull something off the 8-9 matchup currently in the eastern conference toronto and columbus that's tied and game three is later on so uh that's that's another one that's worth watching and so you could have a couple of these bottom four teams that nobody thought was really going to be there making a play for this. And that would shift a lot in terms of who the Flyers could get, especially if they can move up. And, you know, let's say that the Flyers are able to get that top seed in some way and Montreal pulls up this upset, then the Flyers would play Montreal in the first round of the playoffs. And that's a matchup nobody would have expected all this time ago when this whole concept was being planned out. Nobody really probably thought that Montreal would have a shot of being here. So this is where they are for right now. And, and the Flyers need to just focus on themselves more than anything. The matchup that they will have will come of it later, but focus on themselves and see what they can do with the lineups that they put out there in these round robin games against the other top three teams in the conference. 
How impressed are you with this penalty kill? Last year, it was a dumpster fire at times, and it literally took a, a full 180 on us, and it is so impressive. You saw what they did against Boston. You're keeping a line like uh, Brad Marchand and those type of players off the score sheet. This penalty kill is night and day, and that's what wins you hockey games, the special teams. Yeah, it really is night and day, like you said, Broth, and it's probably the biggest difference for for this team in terms of why they're having so much more success. You've got to be able to stop the special teams of the of the opposition. You just have to, especially in, in the playoffs. You need to be able to shut down any opportunities that the opponent can get and where they can take advantage of. And it was kind of something that I was seeing when I was watching that Montreal Pittsburgh game last night. You know, Pittsburgh got two quick power play opportunities scored on both, and it felt like they were going to take full control of the game. And now credit to Montreal for clawing their way back into that game and then finding a way to win. But that's how quickly a game can shift, especially when you may be a below, you know, below average penalty kill unit. So the Flyers being on the above average end of it, having really good success to start off in the round robin, that's all going to come into play, especially as you're playing these top teams. We all know the power that Washington has on the power play. When you, when you talk about Ovechkin and Backstrom, and Kuznetsov and all those guys. And John Carlson's a big absence in that respect because he's usually a big part of it. But nonetheless, they've got a lot of firepower beyond that. And it's going to be worth keeping an eye on how many penalties are taken in the game. I thought the Flyers did a pretty decent job, all things considered, in that first game. You know, some of the early qualifying round playoff games on the east side had a lot of penalty calls and every, almost everything it felt like was being called. The Flyers stayed relatively disciplined in that first game and didn't give Boston too many opportunities. I think the same approach needs to be had here against Washington. Um, the uh, Brian Elliott's going to play. By the way, Elliott was 16-7-4, 2-8-7 goals against, 8-99 save percentage played. You know, very steady. Uh, but in the playoffs, you would anticipate Hart going the full slate, correct? Uh, I, you know, I'd have to see how the schedule plays out because Carolina did something the other day that I had suspected throughout this, and that was the tandem approach. They had a g games on back-to-back -back days. Game two and game three of their series were on back-to-back -back days. And usually, it, it, once the playoffs rolled around like they did last year for Carolina, Peter Morozik was the goalie who carried them through their run up until it came to an end. And Morozik played game two, and James Reimer, their backup, played game three because it was on back-to-back -back days. I wonder how the schedule is going to look uh, once the Flyers advance past the round robin and get into the first round to see if there's any back-to-backs. If there's not really back-to-backs involved, then I would expect Hart to be the primary guy. But this is probably one of the biggest reasons why Elliott's playing today is so he has some game experience just in case they decide to, to do this in, in the playoff round, depending on how the schedule looks. Elliott has, if there's a game to throw him into in this round robin, this one's it. He had some good success against Washington in the regular season. He played the two road games late in the season, one was in February, one was in March, and won them both, allowed two goals in each, had a 926 save percentage in, in the two games combined. So he looked good in both of those games and has the ability to go out and defeat this team, you know, go out and defeat Washington, no, no question about it. But if, So if there's a game, I think this is it, because if you can get past this one, can set yourself up for that guaranteed, potentially if the regulation win happens, guaranteed top two seed, winner-take-all game on Saturday, then you're going to put your best in Carter Hart in net for that game, especially with the firepower that Tampa Bay has and how good they've looked over the course of the round robin. So this is not a surprise to me. We all knew Brian Elliott was getting a game at some point during the week. I think this is the good time to unleash him and give him a chance to get some time in. And Carter Hart will be probably the guy they go to on Saturday. Now, real quick, do you do you anticipate there being back-to-back -back playoff games? I'm not sure that I do because I think that once you move to seven-game series, and the, I'm sure the intensity is going to pick up, that it, it probably will change. 
but they've had back-to-backs in these qualifiers to try to get this whole extra round in in a matter of 10 days time and I've seen you know to see teams actually switch up the goalies like that it, it was something that I thought might happen I didn't know for sure if it was going to and as soon as Carolina got that 2-0 series lead and wasn't playing for their life in game three off of the back-to-back they went right to the backup in that spot so I'd be interested to see the dynamic once the schedule comes out I mean we're, we have no idea what it's going to look like until after they get through this qualifier and then they start laying it out for us in terms of what the first round series will look like. But I, I don't anticipate back-to-backs, but, you know, given the way they want to really move this playoff along and try to keep everything moving to get from first round to second round to the conference finals all in a pretty quick amount of time, all things considered, it wouldn't surprise me if maybe there are maybe one back-to-back in, in every series just to try to keep it moving. Yeah, I thought it was weird to see back-to-backs in the – uh, qualifying rounds. I would be even more shocked if I do see them, but you are right. You make a point when it comes to time and trying to get these games in. Um, what defenseman do you think has the shortest leash for someone like Gostaspare to sneak into the lineup? Do you think it's someone like Haig, or are they skepti- skeptical to put Ghost in himself so maybe he's the answer? He's the one with the shortest leash. It's a tough question because I think I think Gostaspare probably is the one with the shortest leash, all things considered, because I think it's been that way for the entire season. He struggled to get into the lineup to begin with, and I think that there's an expectation for how they, you know, how they look from the play. His style commands a certain type of, of of appearance and certain type of performance to keep him in the lineup, and I think that that's where Robert Haig and Justin Braun have kind of been steady. Is that they're good on the defensive end so much so that I think it's hard to put a guy like Gossesbear who can be a defensive liability but has that offensive potential into the lineup when you may not be looking for all that added offense per se. I mean, I think you've got a couple of really good offensive defensemen in your lineup. Ivan Provrov's got that hybrid ability, and Travis Sandheim's also got some of that ability as well and can contribute offensively. So maybe they don't feel like they need the third guy in there. They want a stay-at-home pair, and that's what they've got. I think the third pair is where you're going to find the guy who is on the shortest leash otherwise or who, where they would try to maybe slot him in. It's interesting to see, though, because the pairing of Hag and Braun didn't play in that exhibition game, and I think that it showed in that first game against Boston. I think that when they finally got their chance to play, they were the pairing that looked a little bit, you know, maybe looked a step behind, maybe didn't look as good as the other two did, and that's because they played in the previous game and it wasn't their first go-round coming back from the pause. But I think that that's the area where if you're going to find a place to slide Gostas Bear in, I think that's where it's going to come from. I can see it being either of those guys, depending on how the performance looks today. Uh, real quick with Kevin Durso here, Flyers and Capitals coming up at 4 o'clock right here on 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Oscar Lindblom says he's going to try to get to the bubble Friday. Uh, do they hope to have him for the playoffs, or is that uh, a little too ambitious? Uh, it's not too ambitious, and, and here's the reason why. Elaine Vigneault told us and kind of gave a roundabout answer for coming to this and was told he had asked all the way back when Oscar Lindblom was diagnosed what's the, not only what's the prognosis for him to beat, beat the disease, but also to eventually make a return. And he, he told the media he was told that when September rolled around, and at that time you're thinking training camp of the new season that was to come, he would probably be available to at least get on the ice and start his training at a, at a full level and maybe get back into the lineup at the start of the next season. The delay and the pause on the season has allowed for September to become a target for the current season and the playoffs. And it, it sounds like a mantra for the team to maybe follow here. Get the season to September and you might see Oscar Lindblom. That's the way it's starting to sound. So 
it, it, there's a lot of steps that need to be taken before that. First things first, Limblom's got to arrive at the bubble first and foremost, and then he's going to have a short period of quarantine time after spending some time at home in Sweden. And then he'll get back on the ice and start his training, start practicing, and who knows how long exactly it will take, but it, it, you've got the option on the table there. You're talking only a matter of maybe three weeks before you're at, at that September mark. And so could it possibly be something where we're talking three to four weeks and Limbaugh feels good enough to try to play? It could very well be the case. And it, it all comes down to how well he responds once he gets back. But there's a possibility for sure, especially if the Flyers go on a really long run. All right, Flyers caps coming up at the top of the hour. Ten minutes from now, Kevin Durso at Kevin underscore Durso for more on the Flyers, 97.3 ESPN.com. And a win today could put the Flyers in the pole position for the number one seed. Who would have thought that at the beginning of the season in the NHL playoffs, which start August 11th? Kevin, enjoy the game, man. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Uh, that's coming up in 10 minutes right here on 97.3 ESPN. A little Tim Saunders, Steve Coates on the Can't call. Can't wait. Uh, want the Phil's lineup? Sure. McCutcheon in left. Hoskins at first. Harper in right. Real Muto behind the dish. Phil Goslin hitting fifth in the DH roll. Love that. DD at short. Kingery moves up. He is at uh, second. Walker playing third today. He's uh, hitting uh, in the eight hole and batting ninth, playing center field, Roman Quinn. That's all in front of Zach Eflin. I think yesterday when you saw the hustle by Roman Quinn, even if he, even if it was, um, you know, a ground ball and it's still recorded and out, but you found a way to score a run, you know, he was showing his speed that is so game-changing that you have to put him in, but I like Hastley better in the lineup. So it's a tough situation. I think Hastley has such real – he has, for this young career, he has really professional at-bats. I agree. Works, grinds, fouls, takes. I mean, he has very good at-bats. I agree, but Roman Quinn's speed, you see it on display. He hits a dinky ground ball to third base, and he puts so much pressure on these guys that it's it's effective. So you sit in McCutcheon, or are you platooning – McCutcheon and Jay Bruce as the DH. McCutcheon gets the lefty against the lefties. Jay Bruce faces the because Jay Bruce has been productive. Right. McCutcheon's a situation where I feel like I give him the benefit of the doubt because of who he is and the fact that he's a veteran, but you better produce real quick because I wouldn't be afraid to pull the trigger on you at times. He's going to have to step it up big time. Uh, real quick, uh, Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad asked Joe Girardi, are you exclusively committed to using Spencer Howard as a starter? There's some murmurs that he might start on Sunday, I think it is. Or has there been any conversation that given the way the season is playing out that there may be a role for him in the bullpen? Girardi says we've talked about both roles for him, and depending on when he gets here and how we do it, we'll have to manage because he's not used to throwing out of the bullpen. I wouldn't look for him to throw back-to-back days if we put him in the bullpen. I would look for him to be more of a multiple-inning guy who could get us big outs, that sort of thing. I don't like it. I want him to start. I'd rather put someone like Eflin in the bullpen or whatever. I want Spencer Howard to start. Yeah. I don't think we should be toying around this whole bullpen thing because it's that much of a dumpster fire. Well, here's the thing. It seems because of the double dip, you need someone to start. So he might start on Sunday, but then after that... He gets the old bounce to the pen. Look at this. What do you got? Uh, oh, my. Oh, you missed a good one. You got a fight with the refs? What? <laughs> what just happened? I can't wait to see that in some Flyers hockey in about seven minutes here on 97.3 ESPN. Look at this hair flip. 
He did a little hair flip, a fix of the elbow pads. That's unbelievable. Now I got five questions for you. Oh, here we go. All we right. got the uh, rapid fire. So real quick, uh, Howard looks like he's going to pitch Sunday, but then after that they might move him to the bullpen. I don't like the move to the bullpen. Yeah, me neither. I don't like it at all. It's actually starting to piss me off. I can't be this pissed off before Flyers hockey. Let's start this bad boy off. Do the Flyers win? Uh, yeah, I got Flyer win today. Capitals were down 2 nothing last game, came back and uh, won that game. I think uh, Moose gets the dub. All right, question number two. What's the score of this hockey game? We got a 3-1 final. Love it. Empty net or three straight legit nah, goals? Three legits. Okay, wow, love that. Over, under... One and a half points for Claude Giry. Uh Under. Okay. Now, would you guess that you means one and zero? Or you're going to give me you're just a one pointer? What do you? What do you give me? Two dimes? Well, you know he can do that. He sure has the <laughs> skill set to move the biscuit around the ice. You know what I'm saying? How many points for Kevin Hayes? Uh, I think Hayes gets. I was going to say my goal scorers today. Hayes. Voracek. Little TK. Okay, no Scott Lawton. Keeping him off the score sheet. <laughs> Can't even have this conversation. He got one in the last game. Come on. It's funny. Oh, he can only score once like that? Does Ovechkin like the lamp? No. Moose stops Ovi. Yeah, they only get one. It's not from him. Who's it from? I don't know. Kimball. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay, you don't want to go Kuznetsov on me? We're going to spit off Kuznetsov? He's out today. He's not playing? No, he's in. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. There's your five. I can't wait. You gave me a hockey five today. Well, you know, it makes sense. We're going right into the game. Yeah. So, James Van Riebsdyk is uh, out today. How about that move by Elaine? Wow. John Carlson. Out. John Paul, John Paul. Not playing. All right. Flyers hockey. Tim Saunders and Steve Coates. They have you. Coming up next.